0: Hey everyone, this is Weird in High School, and we are back after a hiatus. I don't even remember what episode this is. I've been pretty fried, and uh, I'm going to try to be more honest on this show. Also, I'm in the last semester of a business degree. It's soul-sucking. I hate business school. I I didn't want to go. I don't know why I'm there. I should have listened to my blessed 12th grade teacher who told me to go to recording school, and I I should have done that um, instead of business school. Business school is trash, and it's where dreams go to die. Anyway, the moral of the story is is that I'm slammed. The world shut down, and I wish I was slammed with happier things, but I'm not, and I'm gonna do this show every two weeks. So every Friday-ish is becoming every second Friday-ish. I think things are crazy enough that if you're a loyal listener of this show, which I appreciate that, that we can all have a little grace with each other and understand that deadlines are a little difficult and, you know, psychological health is a little difficult. And all sorts of things are difficult. Fuck. You can't even plan a trip right now. You, you can't, you can't buy airfare and know that the, the company that says they will take you on an airplane to another country or something will actually even do that. So, you know what? it's okay it's it's okay we're gonna do weird in high school every two weeks i might do some stuff on youtube that's me i might sing some songs on on the odd weeks that there aren't weird in high school but i'm, I'm bad about spreading myself too thin i run away from my problems i make myself a workaholic it's a problem it's bad it's not good for me it's not good for the people that try to love me um and bless them let's take a moment and bless and thank the the wonderful beautiful people in my life like i just talked to noah on the phone for like an hour noah was a previous guest go check out the if i look strong you look strong episode it's amazing i miss talking to my friends i miss miss talking about weird shit like like a 440 versus a 432 like I miss everyone so profoundly much, and I think when we're away from this connection, it's crucial, like, I I don't know what restrictions are like, what numbers are like, do what you're comfortable with. I go for walks with my friends. It's the same, like, few friends, and and we go meet at the reservoir or somewhere nice, like, pick a day that's like, probably no matter where you live in the world, unless it's somewhere super extreme, probably you get at least, like, negative five to zero degree days. Put on a scarf talk to your friends get get a coffee support a local business and and go talk be real be honest tell them what you're going through listen to them you know you don't need to like yes and no bounce off each other but but like if you talk if you have an hour long conversation you should split some difference of like you know there should be some like 55 45% margin you know, of, of exchange. You should be within, like, 5% of talking half the time with your friends. Make sure you, you talk about what they want to talk about. Make sure you're talking about something you want to talk about, too. You know, go be there. There's ways to do it. We, we can't clutter around in, in big crowds right now, but we can love each other. So let, let's freaking love each other. I need the love. You need the love. Andrew needs the love. And speaking of which, on today's episode, we have Andrew Douglas, who... Andrew, and I I don't want to speak out of term here, is someone I listen to very, very regularly, and he is one of my friends that, like, I look at Spotify numbers and I don't understand why he is not super famous. Andrew Douglas is one of the most confessional, honest, raw songwriters I know, and that is what I admire most in a person. He busks, he'll blow you away, he's one of the only people that I've watched silence Broken City on a Rockin' for Dollars night by himself with an acoustic guitar. That, that does not happen. This guy throws picks, he, he thinks, he has opinions, and he is an intrepid, integral individual. I was texting him today. I love Andrew with everything in me, and you're going to, too. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Andrew Douglas. Start me at the start of, of young Andrew getting into music. What did that look like?
1: Um, yeah, baby Andrew came into music um, at a summer camp when I was probably about 10 years old. And uh, it was just kind of the classic sitting around the campfire. A few folks pull out the guitars. They're singing songs, and they just look like gods to me. And so that was like the orienteering day. And then they announced that they were going to hold a little guitar workshop so it was like a two-week camp and so i signed up right away and then in the two weeks i was able to learn on acoustic uh leaving on a jet plane so <laughs> i was pretty amused with myself uh, for having done that so when i got back my uncle had a spare acoustic guitar so i grabbed that off him and kind of just exclusively focused on guitar for a long time like i think i spent probably six months just trying to learn how to finger pick out like the mission impossible theme song. So it's it's kind of a slow progression there for a while. Um, but eventually got enough kind of, kind of courting stuff happening where when I got to high school, uh, I was able to team up with some different singers and I would just play like little talent show things with them. I just sit on the stool and play the guitar and whatever. Um, and then after basically all of high school doing that when i went off to uni i decided that i wanted to like actually be able to perform on my own just because i don't know when you're moving around cities and schools and stuff it's hard to find a consistent band option i guess and so like at that point i'd already bummed my sister's like damien rice album and i started to learn like oh i can just do this on my own and so enter just <laughs> grinding out really awkward years of trying to learn how to sing, doing like piano scales in my student house and having my my housemates make fun of me and stuff like that and walking down to open mics, you know, and um, I heard you had uh, Edward Sayers on last week and he was talking about the Hamilton scene and so that's where I went off to school. So just walking to open mics. um, Basically every night, honestly, you could find enough there. Um, Just trying to work out the cobwebs. And then finally, by the time I got to Calgary, which was like 2011, That's where I found the scene that I'm currently enjoying. So, like, Koi, well, I mean, the scene's on pause, but Koi, Ironwood, Broken City, that kind of stuff. Um, And just started meeting people like yourself and getting good opportunities, playing a few, like, humble gigs, recording a few things here and there. And now, I don't know. That's kind of the quick overview of what brings us up to current.
0: That uh, Damien Rice, I just, just went down a Damien Rice rabbit hole. Nice. And he's like, he's a pretty out there dude. I, uh, I, I probably shouldn't watch his interviews before talking to people that I'm in relationships with.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's had, uh, I sort of, in a lot of ways, I have only praised for Damien Rice and, uh, cause he's what showed me that I could get into songwriting, but I tried to emulate him a bit too much, uh, including in the personal life and relationship ways. And I sort of glorified the, Oh, I want to get my heart stomped on just so I can write a breakup album. And then sure enough, you get to that point and you're like, Ooh, well, this sucks a lot more than I thought it would. And the only reason I'm here is because of my own kind of like inadequacies that I've glorified. (laughs) So it's a fine uh, line to walk, but um, he's still one of my heroes for sure.
0: Yeah. I like, I like the way he goes through that stuff. Just he—he's really. I feel like such a cliche saying this, but he's very nihilistic. Yeah. About it. Wait, which can be dangerous to fall into that—that that, uh, especially the like artistically fueled nihilism.
1: Definitely, because you get that that glorified sort of hyperbolic approach to it. Uh, what, so. Were you listening to anything in particular? Uh, I found he, he had sort of an interesting arc. He he's very slow to put out albums, but the difference between like his first album, O, and then the most recent, uh, my favorite. Uh, wait a minute! I won't get this confused with Kanye. My favorite, Faded Fantasy. That uh, I don't know. Sounds right. Was. Yeah. Yeah, and that one, I found uh, he played around with some optimism. He's got almost like this. It almost sounds like a like a Disney kind of you know, the, the swelling of it or something in trusty and true, it's this big sing along and like, just come and be yourself and everything's gonna be okay. And we're all in this together, that kind of stuff. And I don't know, that that always puts a little smile on my face and it's nice to see someone, you know, evolve a, a little bit over a career. That's for sure.
0: So you mentioned the Edward Sayers episode. Is that someone, you know, from on the Ontario situation or just from listening to that episode?
1: Just listening to that episode, um, yeah, unfortunately I never had the the pleasure, but uh, I just wasn't really in much of the scene, so to speak, at that point. Uh, I was only like 20 years old, 1920 kind of thing, so mostly just focused on myself and mostly just trying to not embarrass myself at open mics and stuff like that. But uh, it really jumped out at me because, obviously talking about being from Hamilton, um, the the intense focus on the finger picking. Uh, so I went and listened to some stuff on Spotify afterwards and I was, I was very impressed. Um, same too, actually with your latest release, by the way, I forgot to give you little props on that, like really, really impressive right hand stuff. And that's what I used to be obsessed with before I got into like kind of the heavier strumming stuff. And so that just really stuck out to me. And then when he mentioned that he was near, uh, from originally near Sarnia, I was like, Oh, well, that's where I was born and raised. So <laughs> we must've just missed each other. Unfortunately.
0: Yeah, there's probably, you're what, in your early 30s?
1: Uh yeah, I'm 31 now.
0: Yeah, so there's like a probably a five-year difference between you and Eddie.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, five years, it's kind of funny, like, as you get older, five years is nothing, but when you're young, five years is like an insurmountable distance, usually.
0: Yeah, it is wild, especially when you this isn't a thing you should bring up with the person you're dating when there's an age gap. But if you point out what grade you were in when they were graduating high school, if, if they're older <laughs> yeah. than you are, this is not the move. <laughs> but,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, you don't want to start doing that, that mental math. No, no, <laughs> <you do
0: that. laughs> no numbers are a losing battle. I find in in every single way, always, um, maybe unless you're making a bridge and then I would enjoy a lot of consideration of numbers. Bridges, uh, cars, any anything safety related. Probably. Oh, I got you, I thought you meant yeah. like
1: a national bridge. I'm like, oh, okay, but like a physical actual bridge. No, like sure. like
0: architecture. We we probably should be considering math heavily for that. But
1: yeah, but you don't want to do that one with like the artistic gut feel. No, <laughs>
0: no, Definitely. you don't. No. <laughs> so, what was the yeah. road from kind of getting into? When did you make a conscious effort to to record stuff and to pursue, whether you'd call it a career or not, um, your, your endeavor as a, as a solo act, when did that become a more focused effort? Uh,
1: that happened, um, so when I was about 19, so second year university, uh, in Hamilton, I had written maybe about 10 songs by that point, um, for whatever reason, initially, a lot of songs came to me. Probably like my first 10 or 20 songs seemed to come quite quickly in that first uh, maybe six months to a year of trying. And then uh, it, it has not been like that ever since. But out of the gates, I was able to, to cook up a lot of content. And I was playing in this little trio. Uh, we called ourselves Chemical Valley. So it was my buddy Larry uh, and my sister Bronwyn, Um And... I can't remember why we decided to start recording. I think uh, it's funny how memories get mixed up. One of the hosts of the open mic, it was this place called Donnelly's and um, he had like a little studio set up in his house. And so I think that was his, he was the kind of musician where, you know, he was quite good, but now he's in his forties and sort of the options were kind of like host open jams record for indie artists and that kind of stuff. So we cooked up a deal where we were just going to do sort of like a live off the floor ep or album or just whatever we could get um for you know the whole thing was like 500 bucks or something so uh we did that and just put it up on reverb nation and um i can't really recall what the goal was but i remember that being really satisfying uh to get stuff out that um even though it was really stressful to do and nerve-wracking um i don't know you get to sort of see the fruits of your labors and recognize that I don't know, honestly, like the only difference between musicians that I listen to and I don't know anyone else is you just create a body of work and like sometimes you can get a record deal or whatever, but sometimes you're just like, um, I don't know, like Keaton Henson or something, like he put up an album on Bandcamp and then he became a career musician from that because people loved it. So I think I just thought if I did something well enough that um, it would create some options and I mean, it actually did, because then I had something to book gigs with. I mean, especially at that time, because I didn't even have social media or anything at that point. Um, we just would make, like, burn CDs of our little EP. And I think I had, like, a paper printout, almost like a resume. And I just started biking around, walking around Hamilton to any place, any bar, or anything that looked like a venue. And I would just leave it with the owner um, and then we started to just book these little like happy hour gigs or like an opening spot or whatever. And so there was just like enough internal and external feedback where, um, I've basically recorded something with some regularity every year or two since then. Uh, and I don't even remember what the initial question was. I tend to get pretty long winded, so you'll have to moderate me, uh, (laughs) <laughs> whenever required.
0: Yeah, that's all good. It was, uh, it was just about when you, this became a little more serious of an intention for you and when you started recording. So that was yeah. in university for you.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, that was probably like the first 50%. And then the, the second part of it would be when I came out to Calgary and then I was just on my own. Then I didn't really know anyone out here. And so I just decided like, I, I, not only need to make some friends, like and I like musicians as friends, but uh, I just want to get involved in something. And so, the second part of the hustle came when I moved out here and just kind of recorded some solo EPs and stuff like that. Nothing that's even available anymore, but um, just enough to keep that same process I guess I described earlier going.
0: So a lot of Calgarians make the opposite move and go to kind of the GTA or you know adjacent areas what brought you to Alberta?
1: Um, just kind of like, I wasn't really pursuing the dream, so to speak. I was just, um, trying to set up sort of like a standard way of life after university. So I got a job, uh, I was a sales rep for a running shoe company. So it was kind of like I don't know, in my mind at that time, it was cool enough, was kind of fringe enough, where I was like, all right, I'm not totally selling out to do this, and it'll give me a chance to try something new, um, but I, you know, I was also kind of just angry, angsty teenager, and I, I really wanted to just flee. Um, that's kind of been part of my strategy when things uh, are not so optimal, um, I, I just kind of flee, so that was a great way to do it, just go to a city where I didn't know anybody and take a new job, and um, it was pretty fun flexible work. So, um, I was able just to kind of go into monk mode and, and kind of work on music and stuff like that. So I didn't have music as the top goal in mind. I was just maybe doing the semi safe approach of like, I'll have a job and then I'll have like my real life will be about my hobbies. And, um, at least, you know, I was, I feel like I was able to achieve that well enough, but I definitely hear what you're saying. I mean, as soon as I got into music, I was like, Oh, maybe Toronto's where it's at or Vancouver or something like that but Calgary has has surprised me for a long time.
0: Have you heard Skinny Dick's song The Running Kind?
1: No, I haven't. You yeah. got to put that on the um the playlist you got to make me.
0: Yeah, yeah. That that's a good good track and Skinny was a good guest but uh yeah, it's just that it, it seems almost innate to to all of us songwriter types that that we need to keep moving.
1: Yeah, I I think there's always just kind of like that grass is greener hope of it. Like, um, I mean, I've heard you describe this both on your podcast here and and in person. Like you put so much into like a record or, you know, when you book that show and it's like, you know, whatever it is, maybe it's some opener for like some mid-range festival or something. And you just think like, this will be it. And you kind of have a few I don't even want to say flop because that's too negative, but basically just the thing that you can't help fantasize just doesn't happen so many times over. Uh, And so then your fantasy starts to go towards, well, what if I move to another city, you know, like the, it's just a way to pass the buck, I think. But uh, at the same time, I mean, just to to everyone's credit, I've always loved the sort of vagabond nature of musicians or something about that lifestyle that I still uh, really admire. There's a bravery to it. That's for sure.
0: I realized in this time that we're kind of frozen and you can't really have the next thing cooking, really. Yeah. Um, or I, I think that one of the big appeals for me is to just keep moving at a rate that means that I never have to spend too much time with myself.
1: <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I can uh, relate to that.
0: Like, if you're always chasing the next project or or just... I, I, these are the conversations that concern my mom, but, but I had the realization that like going and sleeping on floors and and all that is, I think really appealing because then all you're worried about is, and Dan Mangan has talked about this. He says that everyone should go travel when they're young so that they can not know where they're going to sleep and realize that they don't die. Um, I think that that in that mindset, just chasing the next thing and and really subjecting yourself to this scarcity is, I I don't think anyone gets into writing music because they're just, you know, everything's good in their head.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, so I I do think that that is a part of it is just, uh, you you start writing songs because you have something to get out. And then in sure, the process yeah. of getting that out, you also get to kind of romanticize this life where you're not anywhere and the cast of characters changes night to night.
1: Yeah, there's. you made a couple of good points in there. Like it is a very cathartic experience. And um, I think in a lot of ways, if you're dealt kind of that like creative hand, you know, like, it's hard to put your finger on specifics, but it does seem like, People kind of fall into different natural categories in some ways. And so if you're a creative type, that seems to stem from a rather busy mind. And so obviously that can be a productive thing, but that can also be a pretty destructive thing. I I feel like every artist has probably felt both sides of that. And so there comes the sort of balancing act of you've got your, your fantasy of what you want to do. I think if people are being honest, it's mostly kind of ego driven. You want to be a rock star. Everyone wants to be a rock star. Like I still want to be a rock star for sure. It sounds great. But, um, if you can ideally maybe take the values of be light on your feet, you know, like don't have a lot of possessions, um, keep your deep roots only quality ones, maybe like good friends, family, that kind of stuff, but don't get overly rooted with just like, a certain paycheck or job or anything like that. uh, There's a lot of value and a lot of overlap with, I think, like a lot of kind of um, religious or philosophical schools of thoughts where it's like, keep your possessions minimal, um, be flexible, be open to change, be curious, be brave, take chances. All that stuff is great. But then if you go too far with like the rock star ego side of it, then you realize that you're being really avoidant, you know, and you don't develop, quality relationships you kind of don't develop good coping mechanisms so uh boy this turned into like a little therapy session here or something but just sort of uh maybe even this little rant kind of shows if you have a busy mind it can kind of go in a lot of directions and so funneling it into the songwriting side into like playing a nice genuine show side of it is great uh but getting overly attached to what you perceive the life has to look like is maybe something to watch out for
0: you know i find that interesting too um, the guys in preoccupations, there was a lot of hype around them when they signed to Jaguar. Um, and there's all these, well, they don't love interviews, but there are some interviews where, where the reporter is, Oh, so you're, you're touring Europe and Flagel's just kind of like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we all lost our relationships because we're on the road all year. It's great. We're rock stars. Yeah. <laughs> And I find that really, especially being able to relate to those guys, because those are people that they, they, someone in Preoccupation seems to come up every episode if you're talking to someone who's been in the Calgary scene forever. Uh, so I do like having these kind of benchmarks of people who, who come from where I come from, who get the dream and the dream maybe kind of sucks in ways.
1: It's. It's definitely something to to watch out for. I mean, I think to be successful, a lot of times those stories, you hear that people put all their eggs into one basket. And so that's fine in terms of the pursuit. Like, if you want to be a career musician, like, throw everything into it for sure. But just be careful along the way, like, the methods deployed because... Well, I don't know, even just take it back to Damien Rice for a second. Like he's a guy who always talked about wanting to be free. He's got these songs like wild and free and just like always wanting to be free and never tied down. And so, you know, he had tours around on a sailboat and all that kind of stuff, but is always playing solo gigs and starts to talk later on in life about how well, actually, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but maybe with that setup, basically like you're always going to take that overactive creative mind with you wherever you go. And so you have to be okay with how you're living your life just the 99% of the time where you're not on stage or like in a recording booth or something like that. And I don't see any reason why you can't check a lot of those other like really quality boxes and even maybe experience benefit in your music from it. Like, I don't know this, mostly what I used to try and do was channel the, uh, like the pain side of it. It was always the romantic heartbreak pain. And that was really good. I mean, that, I I liked that I had that channel for a little while but then just more recently I tried to take a bit of a different approach in terms of like injecting some maybe more curiosity that stems from some optimism and maybe hopefully a bit of gain perspective from those types of experiences and just kind of write things that don't take itself as seriously and yet still kind of strikes a satisfying chord in a different way. Uh, maybe still honest or something like that. Um, but it doesn't always have to be one thing. And I think the way you live your life, I mean, if you're being an honest artist, then the way you're living your life is going to be the type of art you'll produce. And so hopefully you've tried different things and made mistakes and stuff. And then I don't know, hopefully like everyone should look back and probably cringe at their, their older stuff. Cause you're like, Oh yeah. When I was 21 and that girl and Oh my God, the, the stuff and all that. And then hopefully when you're 31 and then 41 and 51 and all that kind of stuff, there's something has, has shaken loose and, uh, and hopefully can enhance your art, I guess.
0: Ben Gibbard was on a podcast talking about the, uh, the first two death cab records. And, yeah. And I've probably told the story on the podcast before, but he, you, I lived in Lethbridge and the owner of Blueprint Records made me these big lists of, of albums to listen to. And he was like, Death Cab, but only the first two albums, which is really funny because that is a cliche. Um, but we have the facts for voting yes. I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then I had my first big heartbreak, uh, which is almost like losing the training wheels on your bike. Like you... I I almost feel like like a really good getting your heart ripped out is essential for uh, for experiencing life. But, Oh yeah. (laughs) But that happened. And all of a sudden this record, it's, you know, Ben Gibbard made it when he was like 23 or four or something. And it's speaking straight to me, you know, like there's these lyrics about I could taste your lipstick on the filter that kind of, you know, being young and kind of aloof and emotional. And he, talks about it so passively He's passively. like i wrote all those songs you know whatever i was 21 and a girl hurt me or something and it is such a i think that is such a that denotes growth when you're able to look back on yourself in that kind of passive fashion and is another podcast phoebe bridgers was talking about this night that she walked around with a friend and for whatever reason they couldn't get into their hotel or they couldn't find it or something and it was this shitty night but they were just walking around and uh, her friend points out that this will be a nostalgic memory in the future
1: yes I love that feeling like, like every
0: movie. today problem is tomorrow's is tomorrow's nostalgia
1: absolutely that, it, it just kind of registers randomly but that feeling like oh if I was watching some like indie movie this would totally be a scene from that, you know, and just, you're kind of like a future nostalgic memories is a great way to phrase that. And yeah, that, that makes great fodder, you know, over it. Those are exciting. Those are the types of great feelings that, um, if you live that light on your feet, kind of vagabond artistic lifestyle or whatever, you do end up grabbing a lot of those and those are super valuable, but you just, again, you can't make sure at the expense of like the deeper, more rooted experiences too. But, um, I the first thing you said to remind me of this, uh, this kind of little throwaway line in uh, did you ever watch Scott Pilgrim versus the world? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that movie. And that's been a great, like, kind of lockdown movie for me again. And as Scott is like storming into the sex bombs, like uh, Toronto, big new venue or whatever, um, they're playing their debut show. And uh, I forget the one guy's name, like Como or something like that his throwaway line is, uh, he's talking to this group of people and he's like, Oh, their first record is much better than their first record. You know, (laughs) 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 for for some reason you, you have to always only like kind of older stuff. But, um, I, I think the reason for that is because usually that's where you get the exact thing that you were just talking about out. And that's what I liked latching onto, uh, not only when I was young, but like still even now it's so fun. And, uh, um just enticing to i mean i've had like my chemical romance stuff on lately going back down like the you know like the stay together for the kids blink 182 type stuff or whatever and you tap back into that and it's like nothing has changed and i don't know there's something to that even like dashboard i saw them at uh i don't know some venue here a couple years ago and their new stuff was was very good in a lot of ways, but everyone just wanted to hear that like sappy high school, you know, the person you're into is doesn't even know you exist kind of stuff. Um, it's an important chord to hit. I'm glad that people do.
0: That's also such a, a rawly emotional time. Like I, I do think the, the very most kind of honest and, and uninhibited records are, our breakup albums and, and I'm talking like Beck, sea change, like blood on the tracks level. What is life albums and, and those teenage angst albums. Cause it's almost like, I think it's equitable to the way that when you're a kid, like I, I describe it as Christmas morning fever when you can't sleep because you're so looking forward to something. It's so exciting. What might happen? Yeah, and, I mean,
1: that itch in your legs and you just, yeah, totally.
0: And like the toy you got on Christmas was never as good as the excitement to open it. It's, it's like how having a crush on someone is the best part of, of dating anyone. Like
1: Yeah.
0: And, and um, I think that that's the same place that, that really hyper emotional inspiration comes from.
1: I agree. Uh, my girlfriend and I watched uh, Amelie la- or two nights ago and uh, I don't know why I was, I was late to the party on that one. It's a fantastic movie, but it is like so many songs, so many great movies and everything. It's all in the lead up and the movie ends as soon as, you know, the two main characters get together and they actually start dating. And so like the movie ends basically with their first kiss, their first kind of date night or whatever and uh it's obviously so easy to romanticize that cuz everything is just chugging so hard in those moments like you you only you only see the amazing qualities you're just so full of like budding curiosity and hopeful fantasies and all that kind of stuff and so i mean rightfully so you should try to encapsulate that in song and in movies and whatever it is uh but yeah it's a funny one to I don't know you already talked about it but as soon as then that that dream shatters it's like losing your training wheels and I couldn't agree more and but that that whole art is so appropriate so uh, necessary and you should hopefully write songs about that entire journey.
0: You know I never understood the like like love songs I could never do it and my ex would always complain that I've never written her a love song or whatever and I was like yeah I don't know I don't care to <laughs> but best believe that the moment I learned that she was trying to spoink my best friend, that every single emotion that I never knew I had came out.
1: Oh, like, yeah, you'll get three songs in the same night as soon as that happens. Like, yeah,
0: yeah, and, and, and you realize fan. it's the most, like, um, of everything in my life, I think that that's, that essentially loss is probably the most potent emotion that exists.
1: By far. I think that's uh, actually you just helped me solve my own riddle of why I was able to maybe write so many songs out of the gate, but not as many since was just basically at that point in my life, I'd only had the sort of like, what if or false start, like not quite kind of things. And just watching all those people was fantasizing about going off with <laughs> someone else or, or whatever it was. And so it's just such a potent, I love that use. Oh darn, uh, Adobe updates, where would my Skype go? I'm just trying to load this, there we go. Um, it's so incredibly potent. I love the, the way of putting that for sure. And yeah, it's always in the lead up to, or when you are losing it, that you get access to that. Um, yeah, it's unfair, I don't, I don't know why that is. I've, I've had the same complaints voiced to me, uh, unfortunately. <laughs>
0: There's an adage that you have your whole life to write your first record, and two years for everyone after. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: I think that that is a that too plays into this kind of broad and meandering conversation we're having, but hmm. but I do think as far as and, and the last time I saw you busk, a lot of those songs, like I, I, don't think that, and if I consider a lot of the songs that that are the crowd pleasers that you busk with. They are a lot of people's early defining works. Like even Swing Life Away is uh is very early raw rise against. It's a little harder to tap into, tap into that exhaustive emotion when you aren't worried about paying the rent and like everything's such a big deal when you yes. go through it in that yeah, kind of youthful mindset.
1: Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a it's an interesting observation because um you know, I've been trying to play around with you know, busking in particular these days that formula and I always try to start it from a place of like what do I just feel like playing because mostly people don't care. I'm mostly playing to no one, so I had better enjoy the process. Uh but I couldn't help but notice that the the more like popular current covers that i thought would be appealing wouldn't land as much but then those ones that you know if you were in your teens or 20s or something like that you rise against and uh blink going and and honestly actually it takes different forms um uh I don't know, there's like an older tracy chapman song i started playing again recently and that one sort of catches a different demographics ear sort of like maybe slightly older cause they were younger when that song came out. And, and so whatever it is, just something about that vibe <clears throat> seems to engage people a bit better. And so it's great cause I, that's the stuff I still like playing. And it also like hits that note for people. Um, it's gotta have something to do with the current situation too. I think I, the, everyone's just forced to kind of chill out and all those thoughts you try to run from like, Myself and and several of my musician friends they are going stir-crazy because you can't just flee You can't just kind of vagabond around or whatever. So you're just forced to sit with stuff And so I feel like you can't help but look back on The more youthful days when the roads, you know, you hadn't gone down as many crossroads yet, I guess so to speak and It's a good feeling, you know, it's fun to tap into that
0: So as far as the more recent incarnation of your work what was kind of the impetus of that i'm is it other homes what's your what's your first record that's on bandcamp and spotify
1: yeah so the there's other homes is from 2018 and that's the oldest pub- published work that i now have uh and then yeah 2019 was uh, an ep Uh, called the Walrus. And then uh, this year during the, or last year now, I guess, during the first lockdown, uh, I recorded like a garage band demo album, just called Demos.
0: What was, what is your kind of general approach towards recording? And how do you think you're going to move forward with those couple kind of more studio works under your belt amongst the, the demo?
1: Yeah. Um, so I started at a place called, uh, the audio house and there was uh, the recording engineer there. His name's Grant. He's a super nice guy. Uh, he actually got me started for like a reduced price because his apprentice, Josh, uh, he wanted him to take the reins on a project. And so I was solo artist would be the easiest one to start with. I was totally fine with with Josh doing it and he did a great job, um, just because I didn't really have any money to invest in it. So kind of like a nice little happenstance opportunity. So I did a little EP that's no longer published, um, uh, but I liked that place and I liked the process. So then for other homes, I started with them again, but I ended up doing a 50, 50 split. I did five songs with them, which I was very pleased with. And then I did five songs with uh, local artist, Hello Moth, And, uh, we bopped out to this really great place in Invermere and I got to experience just more of a relaxed dialed back, like in a house setup. And so I still get massive red light fever, but the stakes weren't as high, you know, you could just take a break and, and come back to it later, especially because it was with a friend and not sort of a stranger on the other side of some plexiglass, it was just such a conducive environment. And then also because if you record with friends and they kind of know your music and what you're going for, then you can start to get some, some really nice outcomes. And so that one was a little bit of a kitchen sinks uh, mixing. I think the songs almost kind of Oreo themselves along. Um, and yet it was all still within enough of the same theme. So anyway, I loved that, but then I really loved the house approach with a friend. So then uh, myself and Hello Moth recorded all of the next EP together and that was uh, basically exactly what I wanted to do. You know, the first record is sort of you have the, the idea in your mind. And then I think Matthew Good once said you get 60 percent is the best you can do. Whatever's in your head, you can put 60 percent of that out onto an actual record. Um, and so, yeah, I was sort of like there's a few things I want to have a little bit different on the first record, but the second EP was exactly what I was envisioning. So I'm like, yeah, that's perfect. Um, so I would have continued probably down that path if not for, you know, the circumstances we find ourselves in now, but I had a nice little freedom from restriction or freedom by restriction moment of just, why don't I just, just start recording at home on my laptop with no mic onto GarageBand and mix it myself and just see what happens. And I don't know, I'm sure there's plenty of people who disagree uh with the quality but that was another example where i was like well that's pretty much what i envisioned i actually didn't even know i could get it to sound that good like to the point where i actually would publish it and because i was able to do it so quickly it was the most like relatable project after the fact you know if you work on something too long and then by the time it comes out you're like well i don't even necessarily feel that way anymore but with this one just called demos it was a perfect translation of how I actually felt still in those subsequent months. So I think, uh, when I get back around to it again, it'll be a combination of, uh, those, those last two options. So with a friend, I'd love to work with hello moth again, for sure. I'd also love to work with you. Like I really, we've already talked about this a little bit, but I think we're kind of on the same page in terms of, uh, production and just overall vision. And I was actually, uh, what was it? Uh, a uh, hospital coffee. I was listening to the other day. And that type of production is something I've always wanted to do. Uh, just like that little bit, kind of dirtier, um, but but simple and kind of singer-songwriter approach. I've always wanted to do something like that. So, just maybe um, in a restricted environment, with less options, but with total freedom and flexibility, and someone you trust. I think that would be my perfect setup.
0: I think that's a, that's a really useful and helpful answer. And thanks for for shouting out that song because uh, I've kind of that that first EP I did, which which I did with Laurie Matheson, who's a wonderful engineer. Um, I just I went for this kind of like take every influence I've had and turn it into music, and it kind of became this like sort of like Bush sounding.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: It, it to me, it's like if you made uh, Bush sixteen stone in a garage um,
1: <laughs> with yeah, like
0: middle-aged Leonard Cohen singing. Um, yep. So it came out kind of weird, and I I I've, I've felt kind of dissociated from it since. So so it is nice to to uh, hear someone get it, but yeah, I've, I've been really interested in. Recording approaches and actually things like the new Buck Meek album. Uh, If you haven't heard that, I recommend it. But like made in a house, straight to tape, chill atmosphere. And the Red Light Fever thing is a big deal for sure too. Um, I find that exactly what you talked about with the the time lag makes it hard to remain connected to those songs. Yeah. Especially even with like, and and if you're on an actual record label, it's even longer. But putting out my last record, we we started in February in a session and finished in June, and mm-hmm. then I put it out in October. And by that point, I was like, Yeah, cool. I've listened to these songs to exhaustion.
1: I know you're sick of it, and all. I think about um, like a massive Coldplay fan or anything. I mean, they, they make good stuff. But I remember, I think it was Chris Martin. He said like. All you can hear are your own mistakes. Like that's why most people can't listen to their own stuff. And that's certainly true when you worked on something for that long, getting that many playbacks and like choosing between takes and all of it. And um yeah, it's kind of it's just a bummer feeling because if you don't connect with your own art anymore, then that's where I start to get the most doubt. Like it's one thing to be like, oh, I can't sing or, you know, whatever. Um, but it's another when you're just like why did I even do this? So, um, shortening that timeline is definitely an asset there. I think,
0: how did you get connected with hello moth?
1: Uh, Ooh, so I moved out here, uh, of 2011. And then I think, uh, right about the start of 2012, I finally started going to Koi consistently and so, uh, I hope this is right. Uh, that would have been their first performance with that new project. And I had, well, particularly by that point, if it wasn't sort of like alt rock of like my teens, uh, then it was now all like acoustic singer songwriter focus in my 20s. So I was not connected with electronic music like at all. I still kind of struggle to connect with that. <clears throat> but their lyrics and then singing, like I was so self-conscious about my inability to sing at that time. And going up on Koi was or a, a stage at Koi is one of the most terrifying things you can do because it's such a small room and everyone is right there and you got the monitors and everything. So you're just so aware of your own singing voice and I'd be quivering, you know, I had no breath work whatsoever. It was, it was a nightmare. And then Moth would get up there and like one of the best singers I'd ever heard, but then the lyrics would really punch through in a way that I just never connected to with electronic stuff. And so again, my failing memory there, there, there definitely would have been just some like kudos interactions. And I actually know what it was. They were recording everyone at the time. And so I'd start to get these, these little like Dropbox links of performances, which were uh, unbearable to watch, but helpful for just, you know, Oh, okay. I need to do this differently. I need to focus on that or whatever. And so there was just some interaction going on there. And then finally one night at the Ironwood open mic, I was just sitting alone and they were like, yo, come, come chill. Uh, kind of thing. It was just a good olive branch. And, uh, I met several great people that night. Uh, one of my still best friends, Selena Boland as well. And, uh, it was just, I guess it was the actual manifestation of that kind of vagabond fantasy you have of like, I'm going to go to another city. I'm going to get connected with cool people and we're going to stay up late drinking wine, talking about cool stuff and we're going to make music. And so, um, yeah, it was just the start of a very solid, still ongoing friendship.
0: So this is what? Nine, eight, nine years ago at this point.
1: Yep. Yeah. 2012. So yeah.
0: That's wild to think that Koi has been going that long.
1: Yeah. A few different really cool forms too. It's changed hands a few times. And, uh, I always, you know, it's always hard to see one era end. Uh, but there's been a lot of really cool people and cool stuff happening with each subsequent kind of epoch, so to speak. And, uh, I miss it. You know, it's, uh, I was able to go kind of rate up, you know, here and there right up until like the latest wave of stuff. But, um, Yeah, fingers crossed.
0: Yeah, I actually realized I played, I played open mic on the exact two year anniversary. Well, to the week, but of the first open mic I ever did, which was at Koi, and I remember I got there, and it's it's funny now because all those people that I was afraid of are my friends, and we send each other memes now. (laughs) Yeah, And, and I had like in this insecurity way, I was like, oh, those are all like snobby, like weird people. Mostly, be, you know, just because I was afraid of be- not being accepted, uh, so, you know, getting in that headspace back then. But it is so funny. And I think that's what's really awesome about performing is there's such apparent markers of growth, especially recording has that, too. You can clearly trace that you have improved as a person in some way. Um yeah. Like I remember getting off the stage and just like saying to my ex girlfriend, like that was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. That was stupid. And and somehow, like I never, I was like, never thought that I was gonna keep going with playing. But then I had to rectify it for myself, and now it's like, now you play a good show, and it's honestly the, the, I I feel like playing music and performing is. Like a really addictive drug, but where you can still viably push the high.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, if you take a swing and it goes well, it it does just keep pushing, pushing up. Uh, it's it's a pretty remarkable feeling. And uh, uh, actually, just before I forget, like good note on just an example of growth as an artist, like you just touched on, I I had the same feelings, uh, starting out where I was very jealous of people that I considered more capable of myself. Like they'd go up and they would sing better. They, they just look more confident and everything. And I had that sort of like me versus them feeling at the time. Uh, and then thankfully over time that just grew into more of like a, a, relaxed celebration of if other people were doing well. And so, I mean, that's just in my opinion, a perfect example of that kind of like arc and, you can, you can have it both ways. You can keep kind of pushing and doing your own performance stuff and feeling really cool and good about that. And then you can also just get more and more out of the scene and, and all the great people in it, like all the time.
0: Yeah. And it is, I, I think an, an important note for, uh, if, if anyone listens to this, who's in the like afraid early stage. Um, hopefully we do get koi open mics again. um, those environments are, uh, I, I have yet to actually find this like hardcore unaccepting scene. Yeah. Like, like I, I have yet to actually validate anything I've constructed in my head out of insecurity as being real in, in the art scene, at least in Calgary.
1: Oh, I agree. I, I mean, there's so many different venues where I've had different types of fears, you know, even once I got settled at Koi. I would still look to say Broken City and be like, oh, I'm definitely not cool enough for that that venue or those people or whatever. Uh, just from just nonsense things you make up in your mind. And then they, you just have to keep knocking on each door and you prove yourself wrong. Like those those rocking for dollars nights, which is, I believe, where we actually met. Th- those I mean, that was pre-pandemic. That was my uh, top favorite venue and uh, and sort of open jam small scale gig option at the time. And I was afraid of it for years for no reason.
0: You know, those, cause I think that was about, that was probably January last year. Um, yeah. cause the night I met you, I had like, I was tormenting myself over a girl and I wrote a song and like stayed up until like 5am writing the song.
1: I could see it in your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and
0: I got like probably three to four hours of sleep. And then in the morning, it was one of those classic BJ posts like, we need solo acts, sign up. Yep. It was like, I'm going to go play this song. But I have never, especially as someone who has, Rockin' for Dollars doesn't tend to be a solo act situation. Um, and yeah. because of that, it can be a little hostile if you end up in that, in that environment playing solo. I think you're the only person I've ever seen by themselves with an acoustic guitar in Broken City win that
1: crowd. <laughs> well, don't sell yourself short, buddy. I think, uh, I think you did a great job. I think, uh, I'm trying to think, shoot, I wouldn't be able to remember specific names right now. But there was a couple, a couple folks on the, the keys as well. Um, but I, I do understand what you're saying. It's, it's hard. It's usually go up first kind of early in the night. Um, people are waiting for that kind of more fleshed out sound. I guess thank you for saying that. I really appreciate
0: it. What I'm getting at with that. And and I think probably some of it comes from your busking experience is the ability to like that. That's kind of a, that's like a late night beer drinking crowd. And so if you go up with like, here's my emotions that doesn't tend to get them. Um, So it is in your, this is intended as a compliment to your ability to perform and, and to address the crowd. Because like you get into, you'll do the intricate finger picking stuff and then you'll get a big strummy part and then you chuck the pick at some point. (laughs) But yeah. So kind of wrapping up here, looking into the future, my two questions are what is next for you creatively? And what are you hoping for in, with the acknowledgement of neither of us being politicians or scientists in, uh, in, a return to music? Are you seeing a quote new normal situation or are you seeing getting back to ways we identify?
1: Um, well, I guess so, uh, first answer what's next. Um, this, this might sound kind of dumb, but, um, I guess I, I haven't felt pigeonholed to music necessarily as a form of expression. And I find that, over time it sort of just naturally wants to manifest in different ways and so uh, I don't know how to explain why but I find uh athletics like kind of comes from the same source for me so like writing songs or making an album and say like I did some long uh mountain outings this year uh like some just like all day kind of solo runs and stuff like that and for some reason between the preparation and the execution of that, I find the same catharsis, the same kind of expiration of some of those things that cause suffering, uh, definitely a lot of curiosity and, and joy too. And so right now, like I now that it's cold and I haven't been busking, I haven't even picked up my guitar in a couple of weeks. And I would feel sad saying that if it wasn't really stoked on a different manifestation. And so, um, Again, I don't know how to explain why I feel that's the same thing, but I find that's a form of expression. So I think between focusing on that for the winter with the goal of like a very long outing in the spring summer combined with maybe a little bit more um, just kind of like poetry written word stuff, but not necessarily songwriting. I'm feeling a bit of a draw to that. So I think it's kind of like a recovery phase for me musically which leads into the second part. I do need to see what's gonna happen next. I mean, uh, you and I just ourselves have had a couple shared gigs canceled already. Anything I tried to get going, even just like getting creative with it, trying to do more busking based stuff. I had a legitimized um, regular gig booked with that, that then also got canceled even before the first one happened just because of the new types of restrictions, even outdoors. Uh, and so I, it just kind of, I realized that I don't have the the power to make those kinds of plans right now. And so I'm just going to sit back into that light on your feet, sort of maybe the positive attribute of a musician and see what happens next. But, um, I know that it can take a break for a while and the muse will come knocking again. I just have to be patient and make sure that I'm always exploring some form of creativity and expression. Uh, and then I don't know, I guess the finishing thought on the second part there of like what I think is going to happen next Uh, I'm starting to get a little bit worried and a little bit cynical that I don't know I'll try to tiptoe around this one because I don't want to go off on like a big long political rant or anything but I've been pretty vocal with my frustrations lately online about the whole COVID situation and most notably at this point like the lack of pushback on how far this has gone and for how long. I mean, basically yourself and everyone you have on this podcast and everyone we meet in these music scenes, they decided to devote their life to, to music. They decided that that was basically the meaning of their life. And now, like, we might have to look at the risk-reward situation and start to figure out ways that we can – sort of express what gives us meaning in our lives. You know, I, again, I'll try to be careful here, but personally, I'm not interested in just staying clinically alive and safe and all that kind of stuff. I want to go out and live my life, you know, and talking to you, you're like, no matter what, I'm going to go out, I'm going to do a little busking tour in mountain towns. I love that idea. And that's, you know, I've kind of turned my attention to busking. And so unless people decide that that has to come back, I'm worried that it won't. And it will just be kind of like Patreon accounts and zoom concerts and stuff like that. And I really hope that doesn't happen even if it means hard consequences, but that's just me. And I think I've voiced about enough of that as I can online. And I actually think I need to start dialing that back just cause it's not doing any wonders for, for my own psyche and, or anything like that. So I don't know. Are you any more optimistic? Like, what do you think?
0: I, I've been falling in the hole with it, with, with, I I certainly didn't. Like, I bought tickets to, I bought tickets in March to go play in England and France um, in wow. the fall. And I certainly at that point had... Had no anticipation that I wouldn't see a normal show for the entire year yeah. um, or be able to travel anywhere. Like, it's probably the longest amount of my entire life that I've never left Alberta. The aim of this show, I always. I always get bummed when podcasts get political if they're not political podcasts, <laughs> yeah. but like I tune into these things for a break to hear about, you, know, you hear people that I relate to about the things I enjoy, talk about the things I enjoy. Um, this being, you know, relevant to it, I guess it is. Uh, I have no idea, but it, it, it's a fear that I have. I feel like there's this precedent that it's like, well, we got by, we can do zoom shows. And it's like, the best memory in my entire life was I was like ten, soaking in the rain, watching John Butler play Ocean.
1: Oh wow! At
0: Ottawa Blues Fest, and uh, and I guess on the one hand, I should be acutely thankful that I got to go, that my mom drug me around to Roots and folk festivals when I was a kid, because um, I saw you know I'm probably one of the only people in their early twenties who saw Tragically Hip three times, but oh
1: wow,
0: like that is so potently important in my life and honestly it's uh a lot of the promises of of adulthood like getting drunk and uh and uh you know romancing uh have never have never been more impactful for me than the experiences i've had with live music have been so yeah so yeah i i personally feel that 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 is at least in my life essential and that I am so glad that you mentioned deciding that it's the meaning of your life because you know, I do think that I think a lot about like high fidelity is, is acknowledging all the flaws of high fidelity, but Rob Brooks or Rob Wellington, depending which high fidelity you, you get into is uh is this representation of, of a person that growing up, I didn't like, I was always so attached to music and growing up, I wasn't really around other people that validated that for me. Then all of a sudden getting into the scene, I found all my people that I, I didn't know for like 18, 20 years of my life. Yeah. And, uh, and so that was a really, essential vessel for me of community and of experience and of a reason to wake up and to get to the end of the week. And like, no matter how much school sucks, you turn it off for rocking for dollars on a Wednesday night. Exactly. Um, so I, I think that's really important. And I, I personally don't believe that there's any substitute for it. So I really, really, really hope that, that there is a future of music that isn't flowing through the internet. Cause I also think for people like us that, uh, that Instagram marketing and, uh, and YouTube videos, whatever, any of that stuff I don't think is how the music I enjoy finds audiences. I think that the, yeah. that music that isn't in the popular zeitgeist will always need people to get in front of it physically to grow and to get around.
1: Well, you already used the term essential and I, I couldn't agree more. And I don't know, maybe it's just like maybe a quick pitch of like why I think it's essential is, I mean, everything you've already touched on, but like it's how you and I met. It's how you and I have uh, connected most with music on both sides. So being on stage, sharing it and being off stage, just gazing with amazement at the people on stage. Uh, it's how I've met all my friends, my producers. Uh, it just It's what gave me... I mean, just just hustling, uh, kind of walking physically down to physical open mics, you know, with physical CDs and just, I mean, I sound like an old person kind of pitching for that. I'm sure I will listening back on this or something like that. But just so much comes from that in-person experience. And I don't feel that it can be substituted online. I I didn't even do a Zoom show ever myself. I could just tell before I even started that I couldn't do it. Tried watching a few. It just is not the same. And I think if you can look to the longer term, just the way people are going to get started, the way people are going to get inspired, not only just how to write music, but how to think about like who they are as a person and what they want their life to be. like All that comes from writing songs and sharing stuff with musicians and collaborations and all that. And um, I mean, you got to put it in perspective. There's different levels of this tragedy, but that is one level. And I think it's okay to stand up and give your pitch for that and try to defend it and not just let it fall to the wayside. So, fingers crossed for sure. I like your busking idea. I'm gonna do the same thing. We can record when that comes up, and just hope for the best.
0: Yeah. If if not, I uh, I will figure out how to start a commune of my friends, and uh, <laughs> and we can we'll we'll get the food shipped in. No one will see anyone who's not on the commune, and at least we can play for each other.
1: That sounds great. Sign me up. I'm there. <laughs>
0: awesome well thanks so much for taking the time uh, it's uh, great to have you on here and i think this is a particularly insightful episode
1: well thank you buddy thanks for having me and uh you're very kind
0: thanks so much for tuning in we will see you not next week you know i'm fried fried cooked see you a week after that you can find andrew's music which i recommend that you do it's amazing on Bandcamp and on Spotify and all that stuff, Andrew Douglas, there's probably a bunch of them, you know, it's, it's not the most, maybe, maybe Andrew, you want to change your name to something like, like, like Gibby Lee the I mean, fourth, maybe there's a lot of Gibby Lees, don't take my advice, Andrew, I love you, you're amazing, you guys, you should love Andrew too, I, I love you guys, you're amazing, this is very rambly, I, I'm like coming, you know, back into my happiness here, so it's, it's a little bit of that initial, like, woof. I'm Live again, whoa, it's crazy! It's crazy. Um, anyway, Andrew Douglas, look for the walrus EP or look for Other Homes, which is his first record. But like that walrus EP, that's that's a good little taster that gets you right into what he's all about. You get just heartbreaking stories of betrayal with comedy. Listen to Purple Shoes, that's that's on his first record, but like nothing wrong with a little Purple Shoes action. Listen to Shark Week. That song's great. Lately, I have been feeling torn up like Shark Week. Bam. Andrew Douglas. Amazing. Weird in high school. Brett and Lee John. That's me. Smoking Ghost Recordings. It's also me. Love you guys. See you later.